There we go. It's working, right? Getting any sort of a uh, vocal read? Oh, look at that. There we go. Here, we're getting the read. Okay. Yeah, honestly, we've got somewhat of a little bit of what I would call an unholy alliance between the girls at the office and myself. Um, because they like it warm, I like it cold. And so one day it occurred to me, well, if I own the place, theoretically I should have some say. You know, you can't really get outvoted. Like, my vote should count like ten votes or something, you know. Um, but we've, we struck what I would declare a compromise, like a treaty, uh, which is they get to have control of the thermostat until noon, and then I get to have control of the thermostat. And we have to be within reason. It's sort of, you know, uh, so from noon to five, it's my thermostat. And, and, I did, and I'm, you know, 70 degrees. So the last time we were together, my phone uh, went uh, texted right before I spoke, uh, which is why if you're thinking, man, Darren was really loopy last time too, um, saying that my mom uh, was being taken to the hospital and uh, that kind of began this bizarre journey that I was not anticipating over the last uh, however long ago that was, two weeks ago now. Um, it's involved my journeys to Grand Island, Nebraska, which I've never been to Grand Island, Nebraska. Uh, it's, as my Facebook said, neither Grand nor an island, so I don't know what it is. I don't understand it. So, but uh, we've had an interesting journey and uh, uh, that was sort of fascinating because, you know, you don't really think of, I'm kind of entering that phase of my life where my parents are a little older and people in my age group, this is kind of it. I thought we had about another 10 years, but that was that was not to be. So, uh, so I left like a couple days later did the 12-hour um, and 4-minute 900-mile drive, personal land speed record, um, which sounds like I was driving faster than I was. Here's the thing. Fast trips are not so much about going faster as it is about shaving off time at your stops, okay, or not stopping. And so I had a uh, policy that I enforced strictly upon myself uh, that I only stopped when I needed gas, and I could get 400 miles in my tank, so I stopped like in like Columbia, Missouri, and then somewhere in Nebraska, and uh, let's say 12 hours, four minutes. Uh, on the way back, which was Saturday night, we'd kind of got my mom in this uh, semi, uh, you know, as comfortable as you can be when you have a, you know, a cancer the size of a, a large fruit inside of you, uh, and decided I, I would just, I needed to come home, I wanted to be with my wife and my children, and and uh, I wanted to be there badly, so we left at like I left like five in the afternoon, four thirty, whatever it was, with the idea that I would actually make it home. And as I said in my email today, I was doing really good until I started hallucinating cows um, in Mount Vernon. Um, and I, I really did think I saw a cow. It was the weirdest experience. I was on the phone, and I was like, yeah, and <laughs> swerved, and there's nothing there. I was like, I don't know what just happened. Mount, Mount Vernon. Theoretically, that was a little, yeah, it wasn't like I was in East St. Louis, you know, I mean, I was in the woods, but... Um, but by the second time that happened, I'm like, you know, this is done. I've got to pull over. I'm officially a danger to myself and to everyone around me, even though I have side airbags. And, <laughs> and so that's when I pulled over. And I'm a light sleeper most of the times. And I literally thought, man, this is not going to work. But I want to go home. Should I get a hotel room? All these things. And then I don't remember anything until waking up when I, and again, I said this in the email, so I apologize for repeating it, but. I, sh I shot straight up in the front seat of my truck. I had no idea where I was, no idea how I got there. 
where I, what way to go. I mean, it was the most confusing. I don't know if you've traveled a lot, that'll happen on sometimes in a hotel. You'll wake up and not know where you are for a few seconds. You're like, but this was terrifying because I'm in the parking lot of a flying J in a town that I don't even know where is. <laughs> you know, it was like one of those some like premise for a TV show. You know, and I got to find my way home and who I, who I am. And I, I didn't know who I was, but I just anyway. Uh, so that's when I uh, cranked XM radio was playing. I had like a Chicago greatest hits <coughs> thing going. And when you're by yourself, you really can sing like Peter Cetera. <laughs> you, you, you can, you know. Sunflower seeds and coffee and windows down and the sunroof open. And I mean, it was, and I was wide awake. So awake enough to receive a $200 ticket. Um, so I hope that, I don't know how many of you guys have been kind of following along online, but I kind of thought that, um, I don't know, as I started down this road, this is a road that, again, not, is not unique to me. Um, many people do this. Many people go through this. Many people are going through this. Many people will go through this. You will all go through something similar to this in your lifetimes, um, unless Jesus comes back. And so I just thought, well, why not? Because, you know, I like to write, and sometimes I can think Better. Most of my thought process is, is, and you're like, this is no big surprise, is almost like like when my kids dump all the blocks out on the floor and then you got to try to build something out of it. That's a lot of how my mind works. There's a lot of blocks going on, and so it's writing to me kind of helps me to build something out of it. You know, put this piece here, this piece here, throw that piece away, and next thing you know, you know, you got a thing. And so writing was that, and I thought, well, what if I did this kind of openly and I just kind of let it all, you know, be there, you know, on the blog? What would that be like? And is that smart? Because where I grew up, you're not supposed to do that because uh, you don't want to, quote, make anybody stumble. And and then I thought, well, you know, do I have the courage to be misunderstood, you know? Cause the, and the answer is I'm not really sure about that. Um, but I just, you know, so I just laid out that first uh, blog that was from a real genuine place and, uh, and kind of be, had begun this journey. And so I, I hope that you don't mind that I have done it that way. Um, it is kind of cathartic for me. Maybe so that's selfish, right? I don't know. But what I've found out in a hurry was that, is that, uh, you know, some people don't understand. Um, uh, have had some unsubscribes from the email. Uh, had some uh, uh, definite folks that wanted to help me with my theology. Um, very earnestly uh, rebuked by a couple people. Um, and I don't care. I did at first. Like, I cared a lot at first. Uh, but I didn't care because I read this. Uh, Psalm 22. Where David said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. God, I cry out by day, but you don't answer. By night, and I'm, and, uh, by night I am not silent. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you, and you were, and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm, not a man, 
scorned by men, despised by people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. And, and it goes on to talk about like dogs surrounding him, band of evil men, you know. And what I think was, to me, that jumped out at that passage to me was what did Jesus say on the cross in front of all of his disciples? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He quoted Psalm 22.1. And I just thought that maybe I could live by example. And, you know, I'm not going to do it right all the time. Maybe not much, but if I could live by example, this thing that when, and again, the circles I grew up in, what I'm kind of used to seeing is the, the pastor, the teacher, the, the, the guy get up and talk about, oh, I encountered this and here's how I handled it and, and victory was mine. And, and, and I would think from time to time more often than not, than not well, huh, that's not how it worked when I did it. And maybe I'm not as spiritual as that guy is. And maybe I'm not as good as that guy. And maybe um, maybe I just need to hide that part of my life. Because if they figure out who I really am, then they'll not want to hang out with me. And it is kind of a, a little bit of a trap because you want to, I want to project the goodness of God and the beauty of the Lord and his love for us. Because I still believe that stuff. I just do because it is true. And what I also believe is that we're all encountering these places in our lives that we don't understand for now and that it's okay to be frustrated with that. Because what David is saying is, you did all this stuff for Israel, but you didn't do it for me. And he goes on to say at the end of this, verse 19, But you, O Lord, you're not a, be not afar off my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword and my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my brothers in the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him, revere him. All you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. And listen to this. He has not hidden his face from him, but he's listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember. Turn to the Lord. He just goes on to praise him. They will proclaim his righteousness, verse 31 says, to a people yet unborn, for he has done it. And I guess that what I wanted to do was to maybe live like David a little bit. Except for the dancing naked part, in fairness. Which is just to be honest about it, you know? I don't understand. You know, I uh, when I was a little kid, 
my big toe got healed when an evangelist came to, tr- uh, to town. I, I broke my big toe because I kicked my brother. Um, and I broke it like a lot. <laughs> like it was loud and really painful. <laughs> uh, and and this uh, a lady evangelist came through town. And in those days, like a lot of people were on the, they actually still are, but on those days on the circuit. And, and I went down, I got prayed for, and, and my big toe got healed. And I remember it. I still look back on it from time to time when I, when I doubt and think, oh yeah, but that's right, you killed my big toe, so you, have, you are a real God. You know, it's like, that's what I, I look back on. And I think that God brings moments like that in our lives. Do you remember when the disciples, Jesus had just fed the 5,000? There's two different accounts of it, one I think in Matthew, one in Luke, but he just fed the 5,000, and they had gone across, uh, they were getting onto the boat to leave. And Jesus had taken up baskets of leftover bread and fish. And they got in the boat. And Jesus, it says that he was upset with them because they had forgotten about the loaves. Now, initially you would think that, well, maybe Jesus was, was ticked because he had gone to all that trouble. And now what were they going to have for lunch, right? Um, which doesn't make any sense because, of course, they could... I mean, Jesus could make the fish jump into the boat and fry them on the spot, you know, with lightning and all. Um, I think that what he was really saying to them, because they talked about what was about to happen, that he was going to calm the seas, calm. They had forgotten about the loaves. It wasn't that they forgot the bread. It was that they forgot they were with the Son of God. They had forgotten their own bread basket of those things that God had done in their lives. And I think it's important for us to remember those things that God has done for us along the way, the little things, because they are this little piece here, that little piece there, my broken toe here, my experience in Guatemala when we were lost in the middle of the night. Uh, we should have, we'd wandered off, should not have done so in like the poor section of town. It was like, it was like 11 o'clock at night, way past curfew. We were so busted. And we couldn't find our way home. And that we, I remember it like, I mean, it was so weird. We got in a circle. We prayed. And God, please help us out of this mess because we don't want to get killed here, which was the next step. Um, and this bus comes, this bus stop that we didn't even know was a bus stop. And we get on. We didn't even know where it's going. Didn't care. We get on the bus, the last bus of the night. And on the bus, we see a guy in a uniform from the hotel that we were trying to find. And we were two bus changes, or one bus change, I don't remember now. But he led us home. Like that guy, at that moment, we prayed, God brought it, that's one more piece in my breadbasket. So that when I'm in a situation like this, where I don't necessarily understand, and don't get, that I get to say to the Lord, okay, but I remember you did this, and I remember you did that. And, I don't understand this, but I know that you're good. I know that you're real. Because these kinds of things shake you to a deeper core. Not the core of, it's the kind of things that when you're by yourself, you think, well, maybe are you even real, God? I mean, seriously, this would be a great time to do one of those things that you do, you know, or like with the big C opening and, you know. Um, and, and I said that in one of the blogs, maybe some helpful advice for the Lord, but he could do that and then we could go on the news and talk about it. Um, and tell everybody a bunch of people get saved, because that sounds like a really great idea. Um, and when you get to those moments, which of course I was pretty delirious at that moment, because it had been another long night, 
you just remember that God's agenda is bigger and that his will is, um, it's something that even if I tried, can't wrap my mind around. The, the big picture, okay, you understand, like the day-to-day the, the -day stuff I can get, kind of get my mind around, but when you take it back and pull back the veil and say, and we've talked about it, if you've been around the study at all, you know if I've mentioned this, that I can negotiate all day long with my two-year-old about why he cannot have candy for breakfast, okay? He'll never understand, okay? Not till he's older, not till he's more mature, not till, because in his mind, I mean, on the phone the other day, he wants candy, he's, he's, he wants to talk to me about candy, um, and it doesn't make any sense. It's not fair. Candy's good. Candy's wonderful. It makes him feel good. <laughs> it makes him happy. Why can't he have it all day long? You know what I'm saying? Makes perfect sense to him. And I can, at some moment, I just have to say, no. And it has to be good enough. Even though it's not, it has to be because the answer is no. And one of the lessons that I've kind of walked away with this week is that no is just as much of an answer as yes is. It's not that God doesn't hear. It's that the answer is no. And so for me, I would like candy. I think it's good. I think it's delicious. Um, actually, for me, it would probably be more like chips. Okay, so I'm not a big candy guy. But the answer, you know, is no. And it, it's a, uh, one of the things that I can try to wrap my mind around because it's not, uh, and sometimes, and I guess if one thing, boy, for sure, man, I'm more committed to teaching the word and to just to searching out the scriptures than ever because let me tell you what, there's nothing worse, it's a bold statement, to be on your deathbed surrounded by people with bad theology. You just got to believe. It's up to you, Lynn. If you just speak it out, then, you know, this is all on you. And that's, <laughs> it's frustrating. And it's, fortunately, my mom was drugged, so it didn't really matter. Um, but when I hear those words, it was like, oh my that's what I believed for so long, that if I would just say it, then I could have it, right? And unfortunately, when that doesn't work, and we watched a man, a, a quasi-friend of the family, who um, that was, you know, in fact, he built his entire wealth on printing books that taught that very theology, and if I'm stepping on, the, I mean, seriously, I don't mean to step on anybody's theological toes. I'm just, uh, but this is a man that that, that was his theology um, who died of throat cancer. Um, but it was really weird and ironic, too, because it was a guy who was a preacher, and one of the first things he lost was his voice. And, and keeping in mind, good man, godly man, this is a very, very loving man, would take preachers who had fallen and built like in a ministry around helping and restoring them and had every um, faith healer in the country flying in on their planes to lay hands on him and to pray with him. And he died there in that bed. Um, and it was the first moment where I thought, huh, I wonder if that isn't right. You know, because of course at that moment, then the initial thought is, 
well, he had private sin in his life. You know, he had done some things. Of course, no, nobody was mentioning that when they were laying hands on him. You know, that wasn't a prerequisite at that point. Then it was just about saying it. But when it didn't work, then we got to find a reason that it didn't work, and it isn't because what I thought was wrong. It's because we had sin in his life, probably some secret sin that, you know, nobody knew about. And, and then everybody moved on with their life. But I thought, huh, I wonder what's up with that. And as I've begun to grow older, what I've begun to believe is this. Can God heal? Absolutely. Does God do miracles today? Absolutely. You just go, I mean, go plant yourself next to somebody who spent some time in India or Myanmar or Africa and understand that what Jesus said was true, that these signs will follow those who believe. Talking about those going into the field, going into all the world, that they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. They will, you know, it was just this big list of miracles. But notice that he said that they will follow those who are going. And you always know that it's off base when someone is following the signs to find them as opposed to the signs following the person. And so could God, you know, heal today? Absolutely. I stand here with a big toe that I can bend right now. You can't see because I'm in a boot, but bend right now because God healed it. He just did. So I believe that he can. I believe that he still could heal my mom. And that's the tension I talk about this. How do I plan for death and still hope for a miracle and be okay with either? And, uh, and I'm learning. And I guess that if I could challenge you guys in anything that I say, it's to never seek the peace that comes from understanding, but the peace that transcends understanding. Because Jesus said, it's almost like God knew. He said, look, I know you're not going to get it. So don't try to seek your peace from that. The understanding part, you don't have to seek it from that because you're not going to, you're going to try and wrap your feeble mind around it, Darren, and you're not going to get it. So don't seek the peace from that. Seek the peace that transcends it, which for me kind of sucks because I really want to have, I'm kind of a logistical guy. I'm rapidly curious. I used to watch CNN when I was in like fourth grade. I'd get up in the morning and flip on CNN headline news. And it's kind of embarrassing to admit now, but, um, but that's what the kind of guy I am. I like to know stuff. I like to learn, you know, just, and so those moments where I have to jump off and say, okay, I don't get to understand this one. And that it, that you can still, I guess what I'm trying to say is that you can still have faith and have some questions about it. Stephen Curtis Chapman was on Good Morning America. I don't know how many of you saw that. Um, I watched it in the room with my mom, which I thought, I wonder if I should do this or not, you know? But when he made that statement about, the, and I'm going to murder it, I'm not going to say it right, but by the very virtue of, he said, it, my faith isn't, I'm not questioning my faith, but by the very virtue of faith, it means you'll have questions. It was one of those kind of statements that, but it hit me for the first time that knowledge isn't faith. Knowing it, right? isn't faith, but faith is believing, and it means that there's some things that I have to take a leap. There's this this chasm, so to speak, between what I understand and what I don't understand, and faith is what bridges the rest of that gap of saying, okay, I'm not going to get that part, but that's where the faith comes in, because I trust that God has my best interests in mind. I trust that he is indeed good, and that, you know, and I've said it here how many times, right, but you know, if, if, if this earth were the real goal, and turn to 2 Corinthians while we're doing this, uh, if this earth were the real goal, maybe that would be different. 
if all I could think about was breakfast and candy and right now, right, maybe I have to look at that differently. But if eternity is the goal, right, Second Corinthians 5, by the way, if eternity is the goal, and I'm like, like for scale, like on my, my uh, like on map they do scale, right? So let's say this is a timeline, okay, of life. And this is Darren's starting point, okay? Belleville, Kansas, 1971, in a snowstorm when Mama Lynn popped out baby number two. I don't know why she went to Kansas. Maybe they were cheaper taxes. I don't know. <laughs> Something to do with abolition. I don't know. Anyway, so um, she was a baby runner, running her across straight, state lines. So this is the starting point of Darren's life. And this is, I don't know, let's for the sake of, let's write a number for the sake of time that we can't wrap our numbers or our minds around. Okay? Is that a billion? Like, say that's a billion years into eternity. Okay? And then, so you try to put what, like, my 70 or 80 years on life might be like 100 if I really, you know, drink uh, orange juice and, and Willard Scott wishes me a happy birthday. Smuckers. I, I mean, seriously, it wouldn't even register on there. A billion into... Do you see what I'm saying? And so I'm spending all my energy on that, on candy for breakfast. And a billion years in, it's like, and that's what I was worried about? That? That I didn't get some Skittles? You know, and I don't mean to, 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 to belittle because it feels so different. But it even helps me to understand the children tonight in Darfur that I don't understand. You know, God, why not come today and open up a can of whoop, God, and just you know, wipe them all out? I just think that we have our billion-year anniversary in heaven, and we'll look back and think, mm, but God, you were just, and you were good, and here's why. And he's so sophisticated, and he's so amazing, and he's so you know, creative with this thing that I don't understand it. Because here's where I really, I mean, I go deep on it sometimes. God set the whole thing up to begin with. Why did he even set it up that way at all? Why not set it up in a different method? Why not, you know, so he chose these things. He, you know, so why choose these options at all? I don't know. That's a great question. One that I will ask him. I plan on bending his ear, ear for at least a million years. I got a lot of questions. <laughs> And I believe that the beauty of our Lord is that if he is indeed infinite, okay, again, something we can't even wrap our, our, our minds around a billion, okay, let alone infinite. And if he is indeed infinite, man, I really believe we're going to get to spend eternity learning about him. Every, I didn't know that. God, that's amazing. That's awesome. Cool. And we'll learn something new. The word is already that way to me. I mean, I, I'm learning something new all the time. And I think we're going to get to spend our eternities that way. And so when I read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, let's start there. No, no, let's go to verse 1. How about that? Now we know that if the earthly tent, 
we live in is destroyed. I love it how he didn't call it a temple even. It's a tent, okay? We're fragile. We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Listen to this. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling because we are clothed. When we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are hardened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it's God who made us for this very purpose and has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come, the Holy Spirit. And it's, I work in the music world, and so when we're doing a concert, we put a, de- a deposit is paid to guarantee what is to come later. It's just a deposit. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live not by faith. I mean, whoa. We live by faith. <laughs> I think it was the Mormon Bible. I'm sorry. No. Uh, we live by faith. It's the new Darren Tyler translation. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And so we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. We'll go to 1 Corinthians 9 while you're doing that. The tent that you and I live in is fragile. The tent that my mom is in tonight is fragile. So fragile that the line between her kidney and her bladder is so thin that even if this cancer grows by a millimeter, it'll shut it down and she'll be done. If you... Ever, and I never knew this, by the way, but yours, inside of your skull, the, the reason guys have head injuries when they don't wear their motorcycle helmets is on the front side of your skull, right, where the, like the part of your brain that makes you love your wife and all those things, is like, there's your brain, and right inside of the skull, these little sharp edges. A bump as much as a millimeter on top of that can scratch it and bang. You're mentally challenged the rest of your life. We live in a fragile body that is beautiful, that's wonderfully made, that's intricate, with all these little things, but it's very fragile. And it says that this tent is, is uh, we live in is destroyed. We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven. And I know that if God chooses to restore my mom's uh, stuff, then she'll be here for a few more years. If not, then she's, she's going to be in heaven. And it's the weirdest thing because when I've started dialing in and it's, you know, funny, I think I know a lot of people were worried for me and about me and I really appreciate that. And I appreciate the, I really appreciate the prayers, um, for strength because what I, what I've really found is in the middle of that and in the middle of those questions, I still have faith. I still have peace. I still can look at my mom and say, you know what? I'm going to miss you. And it wasn't my plan. wasn't my deal. Um, but when you think about that this is not like Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny or some weird pretend thing that she will go to sleep and she will wake up in heaven. Like, that's pretty huge. I mean, like, that's why Paul's saying, like, he genuinely says we want, he wanted to be there. And I want my faith to be that I desire like Paul. Because what we try to do right now, what I try to do, 
maybe you do, I don't know, is I want to hang on to that deal. That little blip on the billion years, the Skittles for breakfast, that's what I want. I want to be here. And what I want ultimately for all of us someday is to know that, that this is it. That's the whole plan right there. And it makes you understand more what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 9. When he says in verse 24, Christine, you'll appreciate this, my marathon girl. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? Only one gets the prize. Generally, it's a Kenyan. <laughs> Let me tell you this. The Kenyans that ran in the National Marathon, that dude ran so fast, the guy that won, not only did he win, he ran the entire marathon faster than I ran the half. He had enough time to shower, get changed, put his suit on, walk back up the hill, and wave everybody in. Okay, dude was fast, okay? But only one, okay? He got the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body. I think the King James says it right when it says I buffet my body. The KFC buffet. Oh, buffet, I'm sorry. No, I, I beat my body. The, 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 the Greek basically says I bring it under subjection. It's my property. I tell it what to do. Make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And when you see him talk about, in 2 Corinthians 9, that word, the judgment seat of Christ, is what, you know, you thought it was just a Petra song, but the Bema seat is an actual word that Paul drew out of Olympic competition, out of the, 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 the Roman competitions, that was where the guy sat to say who won the race, the Bema seat. It's not a word that we use, but, you know, that's there would be a guy that would say, you know, marking the times as they come across and they're tastefully appointed fig leaves running through the finish line. The Bema seat judgment is what that is. And if that's the goal and the prize is there, when I cross the finish line, then everything else up until that point is, and, and you know, I talked about it in the blog, and of course, you know, I learned so much when I was training for the marathon, first of all, that it's really hard. Um, second of all, that it's a lot harder, even as hard as I thought it was, it's even harder. And what I watched this week, I, I'm not a big Olympics guy, I'm just going to tell you, I, I get confused, I don't, you know. But let me say it this way, and, and this is, I'm, we're coming in for a landing here. Um, I think that there are some reasons that I can get my mind wrapped around why God allows some of these things to happen, okay? Because when you think about it, and this is meat, okay? So if you choke on it, I'm sorry, but this is meat. You know, either God allows it or he causes it. Whatever your theology is, it's the same thing, okay? Because him allowing it means that he could have stopped it. Or if he caused it, I personally believe that Satan causes it. It's the thief that comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But if you look in, in, in uh, 
2 Samuel, there's this provocative little statement where it's talking about, and I was just listening to a teaching on it this morning, and I thought, oh, wow. But the Lord was looking for someone to go and to, uh, to, to, to deceive the, the prophets, to the, then lie to the king. And a spirit said, I'll do it. Had to have permission. Look at Job chapter 1. Satan went to the Lord and said, Consider, or God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? So God allowing this stuff or causing it, whatever your theology is, and I know some other people would say, oh, no, no, it's the other way around. God you know, does all this stuff. It just, it's the same thing. Okay? God is sovereign. There is no such thing as tying the hands of God. A nonsense. Okay? But when God allows it or causes it, I think there are some things that he accomplishes in it. Okay? And follow me on this. See if you can smell what I'm stepping in, so to speak. When I look at the athletes on the Olympics, okay, what I am blown away by. Now, if I were to see the athletes hanging out at the restaurant and partying and carrying on, I mean, that's nice. But I'm impressed when they're in competition, when they are winning at something that is extraordinarily difficult. We watched these these Chinese girls last night on the, the, the bar where they're like flipping and flopping and I mean, even the girl that fell down was like, you got to be kidding me. That was amazing. Blown away. And I was blown away because they were doing something that didn't seem possible. When you're in the middle of an adversity and you are standing strong in the middle of that adversity and standing at peace, not that you have to blow it away and not you can't be honest with God, none of that kind of stuff, okay? Because God inspired David. He wrote, God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus chooses that to quote right in front of his disciples. God, why have you forsaken me? But when you live authentically and you live in faith and you live and allow the peace that passes understanding in the middle of a situation where it doesn't make any sense at all, people look to that and they're blown away. And they're blown away by what you've done, but they really are blown away because Coach Bellarosi or whoever he is, whatever coaches are, really worked that guy good the coach that put me into this position, and then I, then I excel. Now, the, the theology I grew up under was, well, if you're, and I've heard, it, I've heard it said, if you're poor and you're sick and, you know, ain't nobody want that, that's why God wants you rich and prosperous because then everybody will want to be a Christian because they see that you're rich and you're successful and you're, that means that you're, um, that, 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 <laughs> okay, let's say it this way. When you watch MTV Cribs, and I know we all do, like you're impressed with the house because you want one okay not because you respect the guy you know fitty or whoever you're coveting it but when you see a guy and i'm not making a political statement or whatever but there's a guy that's running for president that spent six years in the hanoi hilton okay and came out strong and came out with honor and with integrity I don't want what he has, but I want to be like him. So when you face adversity and you come out on the other side of it, handling it well, people don't care about what kind of house you live in. They just want to be like you. They want to know what it was that you did. That, and it gives us an opportunity to share the Lord to say, oh, yeah, but it isn't through me that I did it. It was through the Lord. and You can give him glory at that moment. Not, hey, come look at, you know, the new rims on my really expensive car because that, and get me, don't get me wrong, there's, I'm not, because I have a nice car. I'm not saying you can't have a nice car. I'm saying that is not the way that we bring people to the Lord. 
is by how nice our house is and by how nice our car is. It's how we handle adversity. People are not blown away, by, again, by the athletes. Sure, it'd be fun to go hang out with these kids at a restaurant or party or whatever, but we're blown away by them when they are in the adversity, when they're in that moment, and God moves, in our moment, God moves in us. When God is moving in me right now, because I can stand up here and say that, you know what, my mom will probably die, and probably by the end of the month, and I have a peace that I can't explain. It's not mine. You know, sitting there watching, it's not that I don't have moments of sadness and I don't understand, and it's, you know, there's, I mean, there's a lot of moving parts in the situation, but somehow in the middle of all that, I have peace in it. I just do. And I think that God can be brought, I mean, glory and honor from that because when Paul actually says, we don't sorrow as others sorrow who die, he's not saying that you're not sad if a loved one dies, is it for your family or whatever. He says, we just don't sorrow in the same way. And I don't, because in what I've, and I wrote about it again, I, you know, kind of rehashing a lot of the blogs, I didn't mean to, but I, it hit me that resurrection, if, if you read this, isn't cheating, uh, I'm sorry, defeating death, which Jesus did, right? And in Corinthians, it says, death, where is your sting, you know? It isn't that you don't die. Death happens, resurrection is defeating death. So my mom, who again, unless God does something big and we get to go on TV and talk about it, will probably die, but she's going to rise again just like Jesus did because that's defeating death. You and I, if the Lord tarries, there's nothing more biblical than dying. It's appointed unto man wants to die. Just It is, it's biblical. We're all going to die someday unless Jesus returns. And the beauty of it is, is one day we're going to rise again from the dead, our bodies will be joined. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. That's defeating death, and that's what my mom's going to do someday, just like any of the loved ones that you've had that have moved on are going to do. And in the meantime, before that, remember this, that that moment where we step into eternity for the first time, you know, and if I were a good youth pastor, I'd say, and everybody bow your head, close your eyes. If you were to die tonight in a car accident on the way home, would you, you know where you'd go? Um, know that that this part of our life, this moment, the struggles that you may be facing right now, whether it's your employment situation, whether it's a relationship situation, whether it's what am I going to be when I grow up situation? These are real, live. And I love the picture of the Olympics because there's not just one sport going on. Tons of different things going on. And you and I are not just, we're like in a triathlon, so to speak. At any given moment, we're going to be doing this sport. And you'll be doing this one while I'm doing that one. But all of us are competing, and we're competing for the same prize. The one that Paul talks about, the crown, not the gold medal here, but the crown of us in heaven and and I don't know exactly what that looks like I don't know if you're in heaven isn't that good enough sounds like it right but apparently man there are rewards not punishments but rewards for what we do here on this side of earth that we get at that moment when the billion years two billion years starts based on what we did here we're running for that prize and if anything that we can learn is just to know that 
what Paul says, that I, I'm preaching, I'm doing these things for that prize, because our God is a rewarder. It's not about works, it's not about earning his love, but it's about knowing that if you, on this side of heaven, I promise you that there is not one beating that Paul took that he regrets now. There's not one day in prison that he spent that he looks back on, what is he, 2,000 years into eternity, and thinks, man, that really sucked. I wish I wouldn't have to go through that. Those are just war stories at that point. We were sitting around talking about stories this week around my mom and talking about shooting bottle rockets at each other. And, you know, when I was, you know, when I was in uh, basically my daughter's age, 11 years old, I slapped a corn knife across my leg and split the entire kneecap open and all the stitches. And you tell you what, it sucked on that day. But it's a great story now. <laughs> you know, it's like that was so cool. You know, there's a badge of honor from it. And those things, what I'm going through now, what you're going through now, will be great war stories someday. Because I know that John McCain, obviously, he probably did not enjoy his time in the Hanoi Hilton, right? Just like any other, any other Vietnam vet, any other vet right now that's going through war isn't enjoying it. But someday, they make great war stories. If you ever hang around with a guy that was in a war, my, my grandfather, 88 years old, was a Vietnam vet and a Korean War vet. Of course, he was actually talking this week about how all they wanted to do was shoot Jane Fonda, so I don't know what that meant. But he, <laughs> no, I'm just saying, if you were in Vietnam, apparently you didn't care much for Jane Fonda or Jazzercise. Well, that's probably because Jazzercise hadn't come out yet, but um, they would have then, like, oh, and I didn't know about Jazzercise. Um, but he's got great stories now, right? And in heaven, a billion years in, this story with my mother is going to be a war story. The story of the things that my wife and I have battled and fought through and, and competed that I didn't understand is going to be a war story. The stuff that you're going through, the, the, the rent that is not in on time, the sickness that hasn't been healed, the thing that's going on in your life right now, don't run from it. Embrace it. Not because you're happy that you have this thing, but because you're happy that God can get right in the middle of it and can get his glory from it. I hope that makes sense. This Sunday, we're, I'm actually speaking here on Elijah. Um, again, we joke about it because the pastor of this church, he keeps picking the ones that are like a chapter long. So he did like Abigail this week. You know, the week before, the music pastor has to speak on David. It's like like eight books. You know, anyway, Elijah, and it was, again, the word. And this, I will say this, and I'm going to talk about it on Sunday. You don't have to come, but it'll be on the podcast from Sunday. But I was reading about Elijah as my mother laid there, and it was interesting because Elijah's deliverance from being killed by Ahab was being sent into a desert to be fed by birds, okay? I don't know if you've seen Alfred Hitchcock movies, okay? But that's creepy. Like birds raining, like bombing you with bread and meat in a desert by himself. That was the rescue. Uh, in a place in a brook that was called Cherith, which in the Hebrew, I looked it up and it blew me away. It meant cutting, a place of cutting. And I'm going to talk about that on Sunday, that a guy, that that was the deliverance because God had a plan, but God needed to split him away. And I'll say this, and this is where we'll pray. If you're in a desert right now, you're in good company because God often takes you to a desert place in your life before something great happens. Moses, what did he do? He thought he was going to do his big thing and make his big arrival on the scene, and God takes him to a desert for 40 years. He took Jesus to a desert for 40 days. Paul gets saved, the big light, woo-hoo. You know, he didn't go out and write a book and hit the speaking circuit. God took him to the desert for three years. So if you're in a desert, you're in great company. 
you're in a place where God is a place of cutting, a place of where there's provision that God will bring, but it's a time for you to rely on him and be honest with yourself. Think about it. When you were in the best times of your life, if you're in the best times of your life right now, versus when did you really grow? When did you really learn something from the Lord? When did you really get something from the Lord? Be honest with yourself. It was in the time of struggle. It was in a time of battle. It was in a time of cutting, a time of desert in your life. And so the Lord takes us there not just to get glory for himself, doesn't take us there just to train us for heaven, but also for our, our own preparation, our own, you know, I went to the gym this morning. Can't tell, but I did. Because I'm preparing for something in my life. I'm doing something, and that's part of that desert scene. And I'm going to talk about that on Sunday with Elijah, but I promise I won't go an hour and a half. So, Lord, thanks so much for your word. It really has been a lamp to my feet this week, Lord. Every time it seems like I opened it, I'd find something else that you had to say for me personally, um, answering some of my questions and even letting me know that the ones that I wouldn't get, you even answered those of why I wasn't going to get the answer, Lord. That was amazing. And my prayer tonight for my friends here is that you would, your word would be a lamp to their feet as well. We would not seek a peace that comes from understanding. A peace that transcends understanding is what we're looking for, Lord. Uh, that you could be glorified in all of our lives, in every step, every place, that you can be glorified. And God, ultimately, that we would understand that we're athletes. We're not bench warmers. We're not couch potatoes in the kingdom of God. But we're athletes. That we might all get off the bench and get back into the game and work uh, our faith and our uh, to, to, to really to compete to understand that we will one day cross the finish line and you'll be there waiting for us waving us home in Jesus name Amen I know I rambled tonight did it make sense? thanks for your prayers I felt them. I read where that I sent it to you an email, but Paul, where he said, uh, your prayers were what sustained us. I don't understand that either. I guess the closest I can come up with is that, you know, when my kids come together, all four of them in agreement, wanting something from dad, just kind of does something to me, you know? Like, if there's something they can actually agree on that they all want to do at the same time, that kind of does something for dad. <laughs> so when you guys are all praying towards a common goal, I just think that does something for our father, like it does for me. I've if you don't know, I have four kids, but thank you for that. Um, I look forward to uh, completing this part of our journey, whatever it looks like, um, and God making himself real in it. Um, I still believe, and uh, I hope you do too, that we can uh, have some good war stories in heaven. Anybody have any questions? Question. I didn't get to see the Larry King. Yeah.